0: Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God, without error, and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again, and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Kubik. Out of verse 17, where it says, If you address his father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, Conduct yourself in fear during your time of stay on the earth. And we talked about the importance of rightful fear. I was going to use verse 17 as an introduction into 18 through 21, which I'm going to talk about today. But the fact of the matter is there's so much information there, so much meat there, so much, so many things we need to understand within the content of that one verse that we never got out of that one verse. We can't. I, had a, I, had a, I read something the other day. It said, I don't fear God, I fear being without God. It's bad theology. You can't fear being without God if you don't fear God first. Because you have to have an understanding that God exists and humble yourself before Him, or you can't fear God. Or you prove that you don't. Everybody get where I'm saying? And so we're transient. Remember Peter who he's talking to here. He's talking to a transient people. He starts at the beginning of chapter 1. Which we're still in. Resident aliens. Listen to me. Stand strong. And then he gives three reasons throughout the book of 1 Peter. As to why we should stand strong. That first reason is because our, our salvation is so powerful. But our salvation is only available to us. Is only available to us. As we are willing to humble ourselves. And be fearful before the Lord. I was talking to Pastor Rick, and he goes, man, that was good teaching. He said, that's, that's Sunday teaching on a Wednesday. And then he said, I'm surprised you didn't cover humility, though. And I said, well, I'm surprised you're humble enough to come, come at me like that. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so it, it was a joke. But I really should have covered that point last week, because you can't fear the Lord if you're not humble. We are to be fearful. But then in 18 through 21, he tells us why we should be fearful. And essentially, those verses say one thing. We should be fearful because we are beautifully redeemed. Which is the title of the lesson today. We are beautifully redeemed. I want to say that, and I want to say that. Let me tell you, I was sitting in my office today. And I had finished this, the lesson, and I was just reviewing it, and it it dawned. It just, you guys ever get a revelation of a revelation that you got a revelation of like three years ago, or six years ago, or 20 years ago, and that new fresh revelation just makes you go, ah. The fact that I've been beautifully redeemed by a divine God that loves me enough to want to, didn't have to, could have crushed me, started all over with a new Race of people. But decided not to. Blows my mind. And the fact that he decided to save me. By the blood of his own son Jesus. Should be beautiful to us. It should cause. Because it shows value. You don't pay. Small money. For something that's important. The, the, what you're willing to. Spend on an object, determines its value. There's a reason why a cubic zirconia ring looks like a diamond, but you're not paying diamond prices for it. Because it has no real value. But we have such value to God, you have such value to God, that He gave the most precious commodity in the universe to purchase you. His sacrifice shows your value. Man, that's beautiful if you'll stop and think and meditate on it and consider that he didn't have to I feel like I should just scream this from the top of the from the top to the bottom he didn't have to he still doesn't have to but he did and does redeem us and that's so good amen and so he tells us in 1 Peter 18 through 21, how we've been beautifully redeemed. In 18 through 21 reads like this Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last days. For the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and your hope are in God. And so he tells us, our redemption is beautiful for several reasons. We have a beautiful redemption from something horrible. We were redeemed from something horrible. Let me explain what I mean. It says here, or let me explain what Peter's saying. You were not redeemed. Just so you know, redeemed means bought back from. You were not bought back from. Your feudal way of life was something perishable, was something imperishable, something perfect. The blood of Jesus. So you had a feudal life prior to Jesus. What does feudal mean? Because I feel like we attach words to stuff without really knowing what they mean. It means useless. It means fruitless. Never gonna account to nothing. My granddaddy used to say that to me all the time. My papa used to think that false uh, negative motivation was the best kind of motivation. And for me, because he knew who I was, it is. Tell me I can't do something, I'm gonna show you I'm gonna do it three times just to show you I can. But we we weren't going to amount to anything. The the writer of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, said that everything is vanity in ecclesiastes 1 2 and 3 he said vanity of vanity says the preacher vanity of vanities all is vanity what advantage does man have in all his work which he does under the sun vanity useless with no purpose pursuing but never achieving any of you guys ever felt like that that was our life according to the word of god before christ jesus always pursuing, always looking, always searching, always hoping to fill the hole that was in us with millions, all kinds of stuff. If I just have this house, if I just have this girlfriend or boyfriend, husband or wife, if I just had this job, made this kind of money, my life would be completely different. If I could convince this person who doesn't want to to love me, then everything will be okay. Let me tell you, none of that's true. All of that is futile. First and second chapter of Ecclesiastes he continues by writing he goes the waters the water is going to flow from place to place but it's not going to mean anything it's just going to flow the sun's going to come up tomorrow it's going to go down tomorrow everything is vanity it has no real purpose it's useless I know I'm repeating myself, I'm repeating myself on purpose because I want you to understand the condition of your soul before Christ Jesus determined to save you, before Jesus determined to redeem us, buy us back. It was vanity, absolutely meant nothing. There was no fulfillment, in pleasure, possession, labor, or wisdom according to verse, or chapters 1 through 2. I encourage you, go read it. And if you don't see your pre-Christ life in that, you're not reading it. I've spent so much time chasing so many things that didn't mean anything. When sometimes I just got to shut it all down and just listen to the words. Sometimes I got to realize that Jesus loved me enough to come and die for me. When my life was in a horrible condition Ephesians chapter 2 reads like this 2 verse 12 remember that you were at the time separated, pre-Jesus separated from Christ excluded from the commonwealth of Israel strangers to the covenant of promise so, you were excluded, you were strangers, you were separated prior to Jesus. Last part of this verse just ought to rip your guts out with no hope and without God in the world. It should rip your guts out with one hand and comfort you in the other one. Because if that's true, then this must also be true. If you read the same verse, Remember that you're no longer separated from Christ. You're not excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. You're no longer excluded from His people. You're part of His family. You're no longer strangers but friends of the covenant of promise. You have a hope. And in this world, this world that's upside down, this world where nobody seems to be going and doing what they're supposed to be doing in a world that wants to lie to you, God is present. I feel like I'm high-stepping to craziness all day, every day. I put a text on Facebook the other day, or last yesterday, said, who's watching the debates? And told them that I wasn't going to. And the reason I wasn't going to is because it's, it doesn't do anything but cause me anxiety and tension that I don't need in my life. And a bunch of people was, oh, I'm going to watch them because I want to know where the person stands and some, some other stuff like that. And just a couple people said, I'm going to watch them just for the, the comical content. Today I I asked the same question. I said, so who watched it? And who knows that I was right? You have more anxiety in your life right now than you had yesterday. Sometimes we got to pay attention to what we're allowing ourselves to see and watch and look at. And walk in the hope that we have that God is in this world. It doesn't matter if they blow the place up. I promise it didn't catch God by surprise. He knew it was going to happen. He's still sovereign. He's still on the throne. It doesn't matter if they raise your taxes. It doesn't matter if they lower your taxes. It doesn't. None of that matters because God wasn't surprised you belong to Him. You're not separated. You're not excluded. You have a hope. And there is a God still in this world that is still making sure that everything happens according to His preordained plan. And this ought to be beautifully redemptive to us. This should cause us to just... When so many things go wrong. Not just on a, on a national level or an international level, but us individually. Because we were in a horrible place before. Controlled by our imagination. Controlled by our flesh. Angela and I have a thing on our wall at home in the kitchen, or kitchenette. We got like two tables. Don't use either one of them. One's for breakfast or whatever, and the other one's for whatever, whatever. In the breakfast area one, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about. We have a sign that says, and now I can't remember, but it's essentially watch your thoughts because your thoughts become action. Your actions become habits, and your habit becomes your character. And character is everything. Prior to Jesus, our thoughts and our action habitually put us at odds with God. But with Jesus, that's not true. This, the I can prove this, this succinctness, this line item movement from thought to character in Scripture it says 1, 14 and fifteen of James says like this, but each one is tempted. This is right after he said, don't blame God because you're temptation. God doesn't tempt anyone to sin. He says, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. He's talking about your thoughts. You're enticed to sin when you allow your thought life to run crazy. Then, when lust is conceived, when you've meditated on it long enough, It gives birth to sin, which is action. And when sin is accomplished, it does what death does. For it does what sin does, which is create death. For the wage of sin is death. But it starts right here. Jesus saved us from this. Because this turns into what we do out here and so we're condemned by our flesh too. But there's a way that we can walk in so that we don't live according to our thought processes, our actions, our flesh. And the Bible says that is that we live by the Spirit. If you've given your life to Jesus, you've got the Holy Spirit living inside of you. The Holy God of the universe. I don't, I don't have words. And so I'm just going to say it like this that, to, to demonstrate the magnificence of it. But the holy God, creator of the universe, has, desert, has decided to take residency in you. Man, and, I, and we're worried about what's going on around us. A God that's powerful enough to build or destroy or create anything by a simple word or thought or action... And we're going to worry about what comes against us. I say start telling our world how big our God is. Not to be cliche. But this is what we should do. Tell yourself how big your God is. Next time you say. Man my life is horrible for such and such a reason. Your physical world. Is horrible for such and such a reason. But you have a hope. No longer separated. Being part of. Because of Christ Jesus that you didn't have before. So live by the Spirit. That's what the, that's what the Word of God says. In Galatians it says five, in five sixteen and 18. It says, but I say, walk by the Spirit. And you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit. And the Spirit against the flesh. Y'all catch that? What is it saying? It's saying that you can't operate in the flesh and in the spirit at the same time. You just can't. You can't be in a dark room with the light on. You have to make a decision to turn the light off to walk into the flesh. You have to keep a consciousness of God to walk in the spirit. Keep a consciousness of the Word of God to walk in the Spirit. Well, Pastor Jim, that's easy to say, man. It's hard to do. Nobody promised us it would be easy. The only promise that we got is at the end of it all, our hope outweighs our problem. And so we can stand knowing that we aren't separated. I know I keep going back to the verse, but it's important. We've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Having been this, but now being this we are no longer moving and working and talking and walking according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And people say, and I still struggle with my flesh. Yes. You're not alone. Probably the greatest theologian ever walked the face of the earth. Paul. Said, I do the things I know I shouldn't do. But you know what he did? He kept a God consciousness. And he knew the word of God. And he understood that his hope was bigger than his problem. And so he lived in a state of repentance. He walked out a fearful reverence for God. Because of who he was. And I think think that's, that's beautiful. Because if Paul can do it, let me tell you. Pre-Jesus, Paul was worse than you. You Come on, man. Paul killed Christians for a living. Paul had a letter that he carried around from town to town to pull Christians out of their homes and persecute them. Any of y'all out here killing Christians for a living? If God redeemed Paul from that, he can redeem you from whatever sin you think you've got. Or whatever sin you do have. This makes, me, this makes me joyous. My pastor asked me one time, and if you don't know, he tells it himself, of course. But my pastor killed somebody. He's a murderer, convicted murderer, got out of prison. Got saved in prison by the grace of God. Has been used of God mightily. And he asked me one day. He said. He said why do you come to church here? Because he knew I was a police officer at the time. And he was sincere. I said what do you mean. Why do I come to church here? And he said well you know who I am. And what what I was. I said yeah. And I come to church here. Because who you were. Isn't who you are. And because of who you are. I have hope to be who God called me to be. If he redeemed you. He can redeem me. Because I haven't killed anybody. But don't minimize your sin either. Because just because you haven't killed somebody. Doesn't mean gluttony is not a sin. Doesn't mean that lying is not a sin. That divisiveness isn't a sin. That homosexuality isn't a sin. Don't grade your sin just know that if god can forgive them he's willing to forgive you and in fact has forgiven you i heard an illustration one time i can't remember if it was pastor eric or who said it but god looks at sin from the sky not the horizon he said if you look at a whoever said it, if you look at a cityscape which is how we look at sin we see Big, tall sin, we see little, short sin, and then big, tall sin, and then bigger, tall sin. God doesn't see it like that. God looks from the sky, and you know what he sees? Sin. Because from his perspective, it all looks the same. So just know that he doesn't condemn you. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. And that he loves you enough to have done it, even in your worst state it's the it's the beauty of romans five five eight right who knows what romans five eight says but Leonard, I know you know it well now you got me messed up maybe it's not romans five eight <laughs> let me let me check. yeah. But God demonstrates his own love towards us, and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Just so y'all know that happens to me all the time. Like I know the verse, and then somebody call on you when you're not expecting it, and you're all, oh, uh What's John three sixteen? Oh, yeah. You know? <laughs> I get it. So but my point is, I want you to think about that. Why should we reverence God? Which is what we talked about last week. Why should we walk in fear of Him? Because He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. Which is what the text continues to say. Back to 1 Peter. I'm going to start at 18, but we're going to begin again at 19. Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold. Skipping to 19. But with precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. <sighs> you have been redeemed with precious blood. You know why your redemption is beautiful? Because you weren't bought with perishable things. No amount of money could save you. There's no ransom that could be paid. Earthly ransom that could be paid. Isaiah says this. 52.3 For thus says the Lord. You were sold for nothing. And you will be redeemed without money. God, so good. It's good because that means I'm not responsible for me, for, for my redemption. I'm responsible to be submissive, to walk in fear, to acknowledge who God is, to acknowledge that he sent John, his son Jesus Christ to be my propitiation, the appeasement for his wrath. We talked about that Sunday. That's what I'm responsible for. I can't write a check. For what God did with one single drop of the blood of his son Jesus. Which is wash me white as snow according to the word. To have chiseled it off. You guys know how I feel people say. Jesus covered my sin with the blood. No he didn't. He washed it completely away. If he covered it that means it's still under there somewhere. He took a chisel. To the stone of your sin. And carve the face of it all. So it's no longer there. And that's beautiful to me. No amount of money will redeem you. I want to read you Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Paul says this. Knowing this. That our old self was crucified with him. In order, this is 6-6. I'm actually going to read 6-6 and then skip to 17 and 18. I'm not taking the things out of context or picking verses. I'm just trying to be pointed for the sake of time. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Verse 17. Verse 17. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed and have been freed from sin. You became slaves of righteousness. Because we were living in sin, in futility. We were subject to sin and wrath. But Jesus saved us from that. I think it's beautiful that it says, We were slaves to sin in verse 6. But now, slaves to righteousness in 18. But we need to understand, because we've been redeemed by the blood, that we are slaves to righteousness. People don't like to use the word slave anymore. And I understand the negative connotation. But what it's saying by slave to righteousness, how many of you guys, well, I'm not going to ask that question. (laughs) I don't want to know the answer to that question. So we were all at some point pre-Jesus. Amen? We had to make a conscious effort to declare Jesus. Before then, we were obedient to our master sin. Whatever our hearts desired, whatever our flesh longed for, We pursued, chased, and were obedient to it. Would you agree with that? I want that. There's no consequence for that because I'm dead to my understanding that Jesus is real. I have no conception or perception of God. And so it's all futile. I'm just going to chase after that. And so I was a slave to whatever that was. It might be addiction. It might be money. It might be your spouse, your job, whatever. But then, when you were redeemed, you were moved from a slave to sin to a slave to righteousness. Why do I say this? Because just as much as slave was my master, or sin was my master before, righteousness has to be my master now. You can't look at the word and say, I don't like that. I'm not going to do that. Or, or snatch a verse out of it and say, I, I like this. I'm going to focus on this. You know what you're responsible to? You're responsible to all of this. I, I, I use the term first year here, I think, cafeteria Christianity. You can't walk down through the cafeteria and go, I want a little bit of that. Don't want none of that. That, that, that wobbles up my apple cart a little bit. I like that. I don't want this. I want that. You don't get to do that. You're a slave. To the master of righteousness. You know who the master of righteousness is? God. He put his spirit in you. So that you'll know how you're supposed to act. He gave you the word. To show you how you're supposed to act. What you're supposed to do. What is necessary for salvation. And we have to do it. Stop justifying your sin. Because it makes you feel good. Stop justifying your sin because the world is doing it. Stop justifying your sin because grace is available. Paul himself said, we don't sin for the sake of grace. Grace should grow our love and cause us to not sin. I'm a little off track, but I feel like the church needs to hear that. You you have to be a slave to righteousness. You have to live according to the word. Live according to the word. Live according to the word. My record skipping on purpose. Live according to the word. Because that's what we're called to. He paid a price that we couldn't pay so that we could walk in righteousness. Psalms 49, 7 and 8 says, No man can by any means redeem his brother Or give to God a ransom for him. For the redemption of his soul is costly. And he should cease trying. Which is essentially to say. Your price has been paid for. You can't pay it anyway. Stop trying. Your job is to be a slave to righteousness. And submit to the hand of God. Who saved you. And you should do so according to verse 17. That's why we're doing a verse by verse. Teaching through the book of first Peter by being reverential, recognizing that you're a resident alien. You don't even belong here. Did you hear me? You don't even belong here. And yet we're putting down roots. And we're learning the language. Buying property. You don't belong here. You're resident aliens. Walk in fear of God, knowing that Christ redeemed you by the unperishable, the perfect blood of his son Jesus. And he did so for a reason. I love this part. I love I, I I like it all. I know I'm that guy. Oh, I love that candy. Oh, I love that candy too. I'm like a four-year-old. Oh, I love that candy. But can I tell you, you're not going to believe this if you don't do it. You can get to a point where you love your word, where you can love the scripture. How many of you guys, when you were dating, that are married or maybe been married or had a girlfriend or his boyfriend something, and you can remember just... You couldn't wait to be in their presence. Like, you couldn't wait for them to call you. You couldn't wait to spend time with them. You guys remember that? Tiffany, Rocky, I know y'all remember that, right? Y'all still in the honeymoon phase. You probably still feel in a little bit of that. Right on. Me too, baby. (laughs) You know, you can feel the same way about the Word. The reason your passion grows for your spouse is because you pursue your spouse. The reason your passion grows for the word and for God is because you pursue the word in God. And so when I say, Man, I love this piece. I love the next piece too. And I love the next piece too. And and you can too. That's why. That's why that's what I want you to know. You can you can love your word. I haven't gone anywhere, anywhere without my Bible. Without a paper copy of the Bible. Since I got saved in 2006. It's, it's literally with me everywhere I go. You know why? Because I love the word. So should you. It's a total side note to me saying. Oh I love the next piece. But you can have that same relationship with the word. Amen. So I love this next piece. And I will wind it up on this. We were beautifully redeemed for a purpose. The last part of 21 says this. He raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. He beautifully redeemed us for his own glory. Jesus paid the price for you. God through his son Jesus paid the price for you for his own glory. to exhibit his magnificence his beauty if you'll read through the book of exodus i've made a couple of things here a couple of notes just in the book of exodus in 6 7 and in 10 22 so that you should know that i am the lord 7 5 so that the egyptians our enemies will know that he is the lord 9 16 so that we may know his power Over and over and over through the book of Exodus. Through the whole entire scripture. God does what he does for the sake of his glory. And that's not arrogant. It's only arrogant if he's not God. But since he is God, we should give him the weight that he's due. And we should glorify him. If if that's the reason he saved us. The primary reason he saved us then we should glory in him. Glory has has two significant meanings. To to glorify God is to to make him bigger, to, to express his greatness. And the other one means to give him his full weight. So when Moses said, show me your glory, Lord, he said, well, I can't show you that. But I'll hide you in this rock and I'll show you a piece of it. Moses was saying, God, show me your full weight. Man, the full weight of God would kill you. And so what what are we responsible to? If that's his purpose, that should be ours. To glorify him, to make him bigger in our mouth. To exhibit to the degree that we can the full weight of who he is. Not only in our own life, but to everybody we come into contact with. He redeemed us and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He said, hey, I did this through Jesus. Now you go tell other people about Jesus so that Jesus could do the same thing in them. I've said it here a couple of times. I'll say it probably a couple hundred more before I retire next week or whenever. But how can we say that we believe in a magnificent God that is the only way to heaven and not tell other people about him? things have to be true if that's the case one you don't believe that that's true or two you're the most horrible person on the earth because to know that that's the truth and not tell someone else about it is to condemn them to hell for how will they know unless someone tells them and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it It's our job to snatch people. I can't remember what theologian it was. Some writer said something along the lines of, we should all smell like smoke standing so close to the gates of hell so as to snatch people out of it and cause them to trip over us if they're intent to go there. If he does it for his glory, shouldn't we? And secondly, so that we might have a hope. I'm going to read this to you real quick and I'll finish here. Romans 4:16 through 18 reads like this. For this reason it is by faith in order that it may be in accordance with grace so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. It is written, A father of many nations I made you, in the presence of him whom you believed, even God who gives life to the dead, it calls into being that which does not exist. 19, 18, verse 18. In hope against hope, he believed, so that he might become a father to many nations, according to that which he had which had been spoken. So shall your be, descendants be. All of that I want you. I want you to listen to one thing. Abraham was dried up, ready to die. That's what the next verse says. He was just he was just anticipating death. And God gave him a promise. All of us, pre-Jesus, were just hanging out waiting for death. And God gave us a promise. He says, it says, and this is, in hope against hope he believed. You know what that means? When hope made no sense, he believed. This is the definition of faith. To believe what you can't see, to believe for what you can't see, what isn't seeable. He redeemed us so that he might be glorified. And so that through him we might be able to believe when believing doesn't make sense. And right now, if you look with your visible eye, believing doesn't make sense. But praise God, you were beautifully redeemed and God put his spirit in you. So when you sit down quietly and meditate to yourself, you know that you know that your hope isn't in vain. Amen.